We're on this incredible journey of discovering Jesus in every book of the Bible. It's not been a really easy thing to market and promote and advertise, and you know, it's not been a real attractional thing to do in a day when church has become very attractional. In a sense, we're not that competitive to the attractional uh, expression of sermon series and you know, everything you want to get from God, five easy steps or whatever that looks like. Uh, we just felt like the Lord spoke to us as a church family to help people not try to fall in love with speakers. But, and, and we have wonderful speakers. We've got um, Ken Spicer will be back from California before you know it. Steve Upple's coming back from England in a few months. Uh, it's wonderful to have guys like that that have a you know, world platform ministry. But our goal is never to get you to fall in love with the speaker. Our objective is to get you to fall in love with the Savior. So what we've done is tried to equip you and empower you, not with inspiring sermons as the focal point, but empowering impartation. So you can go online when you're reading a book of the Bible and you want to get a 30-minute message to hear the history and context of that book and how it uniquely reveals Christ because every book of the Bible reveals Jesus. John 5, Jesus makes that clear. The Scriptures speak of Jesus. That he, he said that. And so every book reveals Christ. And today we're going to see Jesus in the book of Philemon as we are almost finished with our 66 books, and um, we'll see how the Lord leads us in all of that. But I just believe God wants to deepen us. So I want you to take your hand, put your hand on your heart. And Lord, we invite you to teach us, to train us, to equip us, to inspire us, to empower us, to bring impartation into our hearts an awakening of the minds. We have the mind of Christ. May we use the mind of Christ to memorize your word as to memorize the mind of God. Help us, Lord, to see the treasure and the value of digging in to a few deeper layers of your word today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 The book of Philemon, shortest letter Paul writes in the New Testament. We're looking at all these letters. This is the shortest letter that Paul writes, Jesus is clearly revealed in the book of Philemon as one who liberates, or our great liberator. Um, if you know what it is to come to know Jesus, then you know what it is to be liberated from a lifestyle that is just so vain and so frustrating and unfulfilling, and you're just constantly in anguish trying to figure out this thing. You know, what I need is to be married. No, what I need is now not to be married. What I need is a great job. No, and what I need now is a different job. What I need is a nicer car, and then the nicer car doesn't stay nice for long. What I need is a bigger house. You know, we're in this vain pursuit, and God liberates us from that when we begin to understand the significance that we discover when we embrace the purposes of Christ. The Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that God put eternity in the heart of humanity. How many of you know you have eternity in your heart? And as long as you're trying to fulfill eternity with temporal pursuits, you're going to find yourself constantly frustrated. You were born for the eternal purposes of God. You are not a human being having a spiritual experience this morning. You are a spiritual being having a human experience. And you need to understand that so that you're awakening the eternal nature of what God's trying to accomplish. Otherwise, you'll live this constant state of unfulfillment and frustration and I believe that there's just so much for us to, to understand about ourselves. 
assignment. And that's what we see as we look into this book. Jesus uh, is, is revealed as the liberator who brings transformation and forgiveness. Those are the two key things we see in this particular book. There's transformation and there's forgiveness. And those two go hand in hand with what God desires to do. So con- contextually speaking, slavery existed in biblical days. And when you're reading this particular book, you'll find Paul is writing a letter to Philemon, and he's talking to him about a man named, uh, I've been calling him Onesimus, but I actually looked it up, and it's Onesimus, Onesimus. Um, Don't name your children very difficult things to pronounce, okay? Onesimus. And so Paul writes to Philemon saying, you know, hey, I know that Onesimus was a slave to you, and he ran away, he broke the law, was not allowed to do what he did, but they connected in Rome, and in doing so, Paul did what Paul always does when we see his life in Scripture. He shares the gospel in a way that's impactful to the people around him. So may we have wisdom that we can learn from that in the way we live our lives. And so here we see, you know, the whole element is Paul writing to Philemon saying, I want you to receive this brother back, but don't receive him back in the perspective of slavery. I want you to receive him back in the perspective of family. How many of you know God takes us from slavery to family in every one of our hearts, in every one of our lives when we're awakened to the purposes of God? Otherwise, we're enslaved. Come on. If you've been set free, why don't you thank him right now? We've moved out of that bondage. The thing that really stood out to me as I read this brief letter over and over this past week in preparation a week before was, was I, I saw this in Philemon 1 verses 9 and 10. And Paul says, I appeal to you on the basis of love for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. So he broke free, ran away, was now a criminal. Somehow he crossed paths with Paul. Paul embraces him, begins to mentor him, another one of Paul's sons. We're seeing a lot of this in Scripture, aren't we? Paul had many sons in the faith. He constantly mentoring father, ministering to, and here's a young man that he embraced in his own life. And incredible. And I I want you to hear it because we're going to kind of break it down a little bit. But hear it again. I appeal to you, what is it, on the basis of love. Everybody say it. Love. I appeal to you on the basis of love. Classic Paul. Would you agree? Loving, serving, giving, mentoring, fathering. Classic Paul in his 60s as he's writing this, interestingly enough. But here's Paul setting this example of personal ministry. And let me just say, personal ministry should be your focus, not because of your call to ministry, but because of your Christianity personal ministry, the table of the Lord. The table of the Lord is something that we're invited to, to know the Father, to sit with Christ and and literally have a meal with each other, to become family together. It's God's plan for us to be family. There's something happened in the hearts of all of these individuals gathering from various places when we gathered into this room, and I watched them all worshiping, and then I looked over, and I saw our children gathering together, kind of clustered over to the side, hands lifted up, you know, worshiping God, and I just thought there's a, there's a vibe and an element and a dynamic of family in the body 
body of Christ that we must make sure we're understanding. Guys, this is not about our coming together with religious ideas so that we can meet in the same room, sing some songs, and do our church thing and get that out of the way so that we can go live life. This is life. We are family, and we are constantly need to be reaching out to the people around us so they can understand the family, father, heart of God Almighty. That's how Jesus chose to come and reveal the Father. So here's Paul in his 60s, again, mentoring, sacrificially encouraging, devoted to, the, to raising up these next generation leaders. I want you to hear this very, very specifically. Paul was very devoted to raising up next generation leaders to the work of Christ revealed in the work of the church. That's a really important component that we understand and, and allow to define us biblically rather than to be defined culturally by, uh, a, you know, kind of a mindset that exists in our culture where it's kind of cool to not be aligned with church. I just want you to know, if it weren't a conviction uh, in my heart, then somewhere along the way, we would have gone another direction. But before I was ever a pastor, I was deeply devoted and truly convicted that we needed, and I want my family to grow up understanding the family of God in a congregational sense of conviction in our lives. This is what Paul was doing. It's not, Jesus didn't come and die so that you could be spiritual. Jesus didn't die so that you could, on your own, find your way to spiritual maturity Jesus died so that we would be the church. When we come to church, our lives are enriched. But when we become the church, our world is enriched. May we become everything God's called us to be right here and everywhere we go, every day of the week, every week of the month, every month of the year, and every year of our lives. It's a deep sense of conviction, and we get this out of Paul. Again, loving, serving, giving, sacrificial, Paul. Classical Paul. Not so much. In fact, when I, when I was looking at this, what I realized was you've got three characters in this book that's being described. You've got Philemon, who's obviously been impacted by Paul's life and transformed himself, receiving encouragement that he's to take a person back who had done him wrong and forgive him. You've got Onesimus who comes to know Christ and returns to try to make things right. And Paul is actually saying, you two reconcile. And then Philemon, I want you to send this man back for the work of the gospel. And you've got Paul who's appealing on a basis of love. And when you read more of the letter, he says, you know, I could put a demand here because of the ministry connect that, that existed. But he's making an appeal not on a demanding, commanding, requiring basis, but on a basis of what? Love. Classic Paul in his 60s. Not so much in his 30s. Paul's a changed man. See, in his 30s, he would have been that religious, hateful, excluding people mindset, a member of the Sanhedrin and in fact, we read about him in his younger years in Acts chapter 9 where it says he was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Loving, serving, giving to make the Lord's disciples. Breathing out murderous threats trying to kill people who believe this way. 
loving, serving, giving, willing to lay his life down so that others could come into the way and the understanding and the life and the love of Jesus Christ. What happened to Paul? Shout Jesus with me, would you? What happened to Paul? Jesus. That's what happened to Paul. He was not the same man he used to be. How many of you are glad you're not who you used to be? I'm glad I'm not who I used to be. And I want to give God thanks that he's constantly walking us out. And I I don't know about you, but I've given God a lot of reasons to give up on me. But I'm thankful that God has chosen to never give up on you and never give up on me. I felt this morning as I was praying, the Holy Spirit said to me that I was to say, some of you in this room have been judging yourself by your past, and you need to stop judging yourself by your past because you don't live there anymore. Stop judging yourself by your past because you don't dwell there anymore. God is at work in your life. Your history is not your destiny. Let go of your history and embrace your destiny. Don't let it bother you when people come up to you and they say, I remember when you... Don't let that bother you because if they don't know you now, they don't know you well even if they knew you then because I'm different, you're different. Jesus changes everything about our lives. Come on, if he's changed your life, why don't you give him true celebration and true praise of transformation in this place? Thank you, Lord. You are a good, good father. Transformation in our lives is a lot like climbing a mountain. It's deliberate, it's difficult at times, but at some point you turn around, your entire point of view has changed. Have you ever climbed a mountain? Like you look at the mountain, you know where you're going to go, and you can't see much at the foot of the mountain. But as you climb, it burns, right? Sometimes you stumble, you fall. But you keep climbing. Your heart rate sometimes is like, you're thinking, what am I doing? And you don't even realize it, but like you've gone altitude, you've, you've you know, changed altitudes, and a lot of things are happening. And, and like at some point on that mountain you've been climbing, you pause, and you turn around, and you look, and what you see is nothing like what you used to see because transformation has started to happen in the process of your life. And when you climb, listen, you, you need to learn to climb with other people. When I talk about we're, we need to be the church and be the family, what I mean is we're climbing together. Your pace will be stronger. Your stride will be stronger. You're, you'll accomplish more in this transformation process if we'll connect together arm in arm. And not only will your pace be better and your stride be stronger, but other people's pace will be better and their stride will be stronger because of you. See, it happens when you're climbing, sometimes you hurt yourself, sometimes you fall. Anybody ever climb a mountain and you got bloody in the process? And so as you're climbing, you know, sometimes you get, it gets rough terrain. You really need that help from each other. But, but I just want to challenge you in something in the church world especially. Uh, we Christians are very inclined to nurse our hurts more than we should. Just because you're hurt doesn't mean you have to stay where you've been. Let it go and live again. <laughs> Let God reach into that hurt, use it to help others. And, and you know what happens? Like if you're climbing and you fall, you get hurt, and you've got a friend there, then, you know, the friend can help you. But how many of you know if you're climbing and you stumble 
and your best friend is there, they'll laugh at you. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Like, most people around you are going to help you, but if they're your best friend, for some reason I thought of Ryan Perry when I was pondering this today, because he would laugh at you so hard he fell down beside you and fall with you, and then he would get up and say, it's not that big of a deal, the bone's not even sticking out, come on, let's climb. How many of you have friends like that, huh? How many of you appreciate friends like that most of the time, right? Sometimes you just want somebody to cry with you. But but real friends, they don't let you sit around and nurse hurt and grow poison and stagnate your life. Let it go. Keep climbing. You can live. You can move forward. You can move ahead. Don't give the enemy the right to hold you back and keep you down. I want to say it one more time. Stop judging yourself by by your past. You don't live there anymore. Move on. Intentionally choosing to live a life. It's your next blank. Intentionally choosing to live lives inspired by God in the community of God's family awakens destiny in our lives. If you're not living a life that's purposefully inspired by God, you are living a distracted existence. Do you understand that? God breathed into Adam, and Adam became spiritually alive. Listen, you need God to breathe into you. Guess what the word inspired literally means? To breathe into. If you don't allow God to breathe into you routinely as a rhythm of your life, then you will live a distracted existence, and you won't even realize that it's going on. Very important statement. It's not on your uh, card because I didn't do it as a a blank, but I just felt this, as I was praying this morning, I felt this was a really strategic statement. So right above that patterns of the Spirit box on on your note card, would you just write up there, patterns we embrace reveal the purpose of our existence. Patterns we embrace, those patterns speak of why we exist. And it is really important that we understand the embrace of a pattern is the expression of a purpose. So like if you love, um, if you love Russell Westbrook and you love watching uh, you know, the Thunder go out and win the NBA championship this next year, we're a faith community, come on. And so, like, you know, if you, if you every week you're looking for when the next game is and you're watching what's happening, then you are, you know, you're embracing a certain pattern that's expressing a certain purpose of sports and athletics and entertainment. And, and my wife does that. And I, I watch the games with her. She is actually more involved in the, the Thunder team than I am. She's more engaged. She cusses at the television more, way more than me. I mean, it's, you know, the whole... She doesn't really cuss very often, but the the whole embrace to the thunder, to the thunder. I mean, you know, whatever it is, whatever pattern you're embracing starts to be the purpose you're expressing. Welcome to church. What do we do? Week after week after week, we gather. Why? Because the Bible says forsake not the assembling. That means purpose to gather together on, as a part of your assignment. Prioritize this. Why do you do this? Because it is a, it's a pattern of the Spirit. And if you want to express the purpose of God, 
God's plan in the earth, then you must embrace the pattern of God's plans in the earth. Uh, it's a really important element that you get. And so I just want to walk you through three of these patterns of the Spirit and suggest and encourage that you do this. Number one, I want to ask you to seek God personally. Seek God personally. That's the first thing. Seek God personally. Turn the page. Pray attention. Like find your personal place with God. When you go on a vacation, don't just go on a vacation. Find a spot to pray. Let the first thing, it's almost like a tithe concept. Let the first thing you do when you arrive at that location is get checked in, get your thing situated, and go scout out your personal place with God. Tracy and I have gone different places, and I can't, I mean, it's amazing to me the meaningful memories that exist and tie to these specific locations and places, and when I go back there, I want to find that place. There's a place I found in Canada that we were just going somewhere, and, and like, I, I, I actually got the GPS coordinates, and one day I want to go back. It was the most amazing like lake and mountain experience. It was just so beautiful. And that, that became, that whole time we were there, that became my place just to go and meet with God. Are you meeting with God regularly? Do you hear what I'm saying? Do you have a devotion time? Are you seeking God personally? Is that a pattern in your life? Because if it's not, then you are missing the purpose of what God desires to do in your life personally. So number one, seek God personally. Number two, seek God corporately. Seek God corporately. Let's do what we do together as a family and encourage each other along the way. Life is hard. How many of you know life is hard? Have you ever heard the John Wayne uh, quote, life is hard, especially when you're stupid? And so I don't know about all that, but I know life is hard, especially when you're alone, because it is not good for man to be alone. And so I need people around me, and I need to be there for people around me. I need that to be my world. Personal ministry isn't happening in our lives because of our call to ministry. It needs to be happening because of our Christianity. I want to just reiterate that. We live our lives together. We worship together. We gather together. We serve together. That's the third thing I want to ask you. Live sacrificial lives. Love, serve, and give sacrificially that we might expand the work of God on the earth. Love, serve, and give sacrificially that we might expand the work of God on the earth. How many of you think that people would be better off if they came to know Jesus and devoted themselves to the ways of Jesus? Two very important questions, not one without the other. How many know the world would be a much better place? Like crime rate, no crime, love, serve, give. Hate, all the horrible expressions of division, Suddenly, if everybody came, became like Jesus, I mean, it would be this amazing world that we live in. Do you understand that's the plan? That's, that's why God didn't send a political leader, because political solutions are not the answer to the world's problems. Now, we need some political solutions, but that's not the core issue. He, he didn't send a military leader because military answers are not the ultimate conclusion to the world's problems. He sent his son, who's revealed in Scripture as what? The Word. 
The Word made flesh. So God wrapped His love in a human suit to come and express a conversation. And a conversation of love is what the world needs. A conversation of compassion is what the world needs. A conversation of entrance is what the world needs. A conversation with you is what the world needs. Because you are the conversation from God. Once we're in Christ, we become a word to our world. I love this last statement I want to make. In fact, let me give you your action point before I make the statement. Your action point. Like, people need a conversation with you. Invite somebody to the fireworks tonight. How many know people who hate God will come to a fireworks show? People who think the church is just awful, they just need to meet your church family. I love it when people meet our church family. I hear all the time, I've never been to a place that's so loving and accepting and non-judgmental. I, I remember a, a girl coming to the church one time, and, and her friend had invited her enough that she got irritated by being invited, so she was going to show her friend. She wore these really uh, funky short shorts, and she wore this shirt that, that said uh, kind of uh, obscene things, and she was barefooted. And she showed up to church to show her friend, stop inviting me to church because that's a place that's judgmental. And she came in, and I happened to catch her in the lobby, and, and I just asked, so where are you from? How'd you find out about us? And, and, and as we're talking, I started kind of picking, picking up something's up there, and I said, listen, would you mind today just like sitting with me on the front row? And we ushered her down and she sat next to the pastor. When she showed up expecting to be judged and hated and rejected and scorned, she was ushered to the front row. How many of you believe we need to be more like Jesus and less like Pharisees and don't be so religious but be loving? Stop judging people, start loving people. People will be left without excuse if we will love them. So invite somebody tonight. We'll have worship and baptism. It's going to be powerful. It's a clear expression of Jesus. The conclusion of baptism tonight, we're going to have elders, leaders, those who have been on staff, their master's commission are going to be assisting and partnering with us in this. And we're just going to invite people forward that just want to come and receive an impartation from heaven in the hearts. Paul said, fan into flame the gifts and anointings that are in you by the laying on of my hands. We believe what the Bible says. So we're going to invite people tonight to know Jesus. If they don't know him at all, we'll invite them to learn and know him tonight. If they do know him, we're going to invite them to know him on a deeper level. That's why we exist. So your action point, invite somebody to church tonight, to the fireworks, and ask them to come back with you next Sunday. Last statement for you to fill in. Becoming family together is a fundamental goal of the gospel. That is beautiful.